Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. Hey, I hope this episode finds you doing well and enjoying whatever season you're in. Those of us here in the Northern Hemisphere are enjoying fall, and I just got done with a great crisp walk with my daughter, Grace, who is home for her long weekend. And that sparked me deciding to talk to you about my favorite thing to do in fall, and that is read. This week, the podcast is dedicated to a conversation around five books for fall for you. And there are two texts in here that are kind of classic texts that might be reminders to some of you. And there are three books in here that are new and newly published. So let's get to it. I believe that one of the most important things you can do each day for yourself is take time to either meditate, review, practice mindfulness, set the tone for your day. And I read a lot of different types of texts, poetry, uh, different reflective exercises. And I'll start out my day sometimes by just randomly opening a book and reading one page. And sometimes that just sparks enough that it almost feels like it was intentional, like the universe said, open up the page 38 of this book and find what it means. I'm just sharing that with you because I learned that skill I don't know if it's a skill, but that little type of trick from a person that I grew up with who is an avid reader. And he taught it to me because he said, listen, I've got two or three books going at a time. And sometimes I'll forget why I was even reading a different book. So I'll just randomly open the page to remind myself of the intent and purpose of reading that book. If you are like me and you have piles of books and shelves of books, it's fun just to randomly go up once in a while, grab one, flip open a random page, and be reminded as to why you fell in love with that text or chose to keep that text. Okay, so let's get into our five books for fall. All right, so the first one here is called The Art of Clear Thinking. And it's by, I don't know, I think this is the coolest name in the whole world. And his parents must have been awesome. His name is Hazard Lee. Hazard Lee is a fighter pilot. As a matter of fact, he's a stealth fighter pilot. And he wrote a book about thinking quickly and rapidly, and more importantly, how to think clearly as you are making serious and significant decisions. Leaders, which is all of us, because anyone who has influence over another person is a leader, find themselves having to make rapid decisions sooner than they expected. This leads me to just a quick story before I get into the book. When I was a brand new assistant principal, the very first day I started my job, I was in my office and teachers started coming to my room asking me questions into my office. And they would say things like, Ted, can we do this? Ted, do you know if we can have resources for this? Ted, are we able to? And I remember at the end of the day being exhausted because I had to make so many decisions And a lot of the decisions without really understanding if I could make them or not. But I had authority because I was an assistant principal and they were leaders and they needed me to give them guidance. Under pressure, I believe that a lot of us make decisions only based upon our past experiences. And sometimes those past experiences either allow us to take risk or be risk averse. Which is why I love this book, The Art of Clear Thinking by Hazard Lee. Because what he does is he breaks down basically a 
a series of ways in which to make decisions, but more importantly, how to flex your mind and your body so that you can make the decisions you need to make in a hurry. My favorite chapter of the book is on mental toughness, and he's got a bunch of concepts in here, and I'm going to quote it for you. The first concept was that you don't rise to the level of your expectations, but rather fall to the level of your preparation. I love that. Because if you're not prepared, if you haven't thought through everything, if you haven't worked through everything, well, how in the world can you achieve anything? You can have all the skills, strengths, and talents in the world, but if you're not prepared, it doesn't matter. The next concept is focused on training. Our brains are incredibly powerful. However, much of the brain's effort is wasted on thinking about what's already happened or worrying about future events that we have no control over. (laughs) I mean, if we haven't talked about that a million times on the Smart Thinking Podcast, I don't know what we have. And then he goes into all of the ways to control your thought. And guess what he talks about? The power of meditation called focused-based training. Focusing on what you need to focus on. The next concept in this chapter is one of the most important skills to learn is how to calm the body and the mind down during stressful events. And he walks through a variety of different tactics and strategies. And the final one is confidence. Because without confidence to make a sound decision, you're putting yourself and others at risk. The book is called The Art of Clear Thinking, and I think it's a powerful text no matter what you do, whether you teach, lead, learn. This is a book where I think all of us could truly benefit from it, and I really appreciate my friend Ian recommending it. The second book is an oldie but a goodie, and it was a book I read probably 10, 15 years ago, And what I love about this book is it really helps you focus in on, through a narrative and stories, how to become more empathetic. And the idea is to focus on perspective. The book is called The Noticer by Andy Andrews. It's a great text. It came out at a time where a lot of really fun kind of story-based texts were coming out, which allowed you to learn a lesson about the different ways in which you could approach your life. And the main character in the book, because this is a fictional text, but really a leadership book, drives you to start to think about the gift of noticing. And that's what they call it, the gift of noticing. How did you know that about me? Well, I just paid attention. The book allows you as a leader to hone in on the skill of empathy, trying to understand the people in front of you and asking yourself questions like, what would it be like to be them? Or if I were them, what would I need right now? And why the book is such a powerful reminder is because it's taken from the perspective of someone who is a stranger, who notices people, and starts to make an impact on the different people around him all the time. One of my favorite things about the book is, and this is where I was reminded of this book because I randomly picked it off the shelf, opened up to page 119, and I read this. And while I'm thinking about it, Jones... Asking for forgiveness must never include a phrase such as, if I have offended you or if I was wrong. A person experiencing true remorse knows he has offended and knows he was wrong. And the people in a position to grant forgiveness can spot insincerity a mile away. Better to say nothing at all than to compound your trouble by lying about how you feel. The book has a thousand little tidbits like this that will just serve as a great reminder to you on the importance of being reflective, the importance of being a good person, the importance of being a conscientious leader, recognizing that you have influence and impact everywhere you go and have all the time. And most important, it will help you hone in on an incredibly strong skill around perspective. And that will make you more empathetic. 
The book, again, is called The Noticer. It's a thin text. This is like a three-hour read, a couple of nights right before you fall asleep. But if you read it, I would recommend you read it one chapter at a time and slowly so that you position yourself to really truly understand the power of increasing perspective. All right, the third book is called The Leap to Leader by Adam Bryant. Adam Bryant is one of my favorite authors because I have followed him for quite a while. You can find him on a lot of podcasts. He's got a lot of different blog posts. And he is somebody who always seems to have the ability to find like little nuggets of how to lead, how to be a better leader, how to be a more conscientious leader, how to lead people, how to be there for people, what to do as a result of being a leader. He is a journalist and someone who's been interviewing people for years, been spending a lot of time trying to really create a depth of research around leadership. So this book, The Leap to Leader, is really how ambitious managers make the jump to leadership. But don't be fooled by the title. Because as I read the book, someone who is in quote-unquote senior management, I have forever been asking a lot of the questions that were answered in this book. One of the things that this text brings up that I think is a really powerful piece for schools and systems that are working on developing and growing their own engagement and growing people's own ownership of what's going on in their own world is this idea of what's called the dysfunction tax. It's just a small part of the text, but it was a part of the book that really stood out for me because it shares the idea that dysfunction in an organization, disengagement, disenfranchisement, people quitting, people not wanting to be there, people bringing bad energy, people being intentional about trying to sabotage other people's work, that has a tax on the organization and they call it. And just like one of my favorite authors, Craig Weber says, you got to name it, claim it, and tame it. And when you see dysfunction in an organization, many times we just ignore it. And as a result of ignoring it, well, then we kind of give it the thumbs up, green light, or okay to continue it. And as a result of that, we can promote and create more dysfunction. And the dysfunction tax idea that's found in the Leap to Leader is a really phenomenal thought because what it does is it frames for you this concept of, you know what, maybe we're tolerating things we shouldn't tolerate. And as a result, it's taxing the organization. Dysfunction eliminates the ability to function. And when there's a lot, a lot of dysfunction and a strong dysfunction tax, well, what's going to happen? People who are highly functioning are not going to do things like take risks, do things they want to do, find joy in their work, collaborate, see the world as an opportunity to solve problems versus see the world as an opportunity to identify and blame others for those problems. Real leadership, like in, found in this text, finds ways to approach it, address it, and deal with it. The second concept that I love in this is this idea of everyone having the counselor gene. And what that is, is it's like a camp counselor. And if people are truly just standing around wondering while people are in the same position watching something occur, the wanderers do nothing. But the camp counselor gene people, those leaders, they see something occurring and they jump into action. They don't stand there and wait to see what will happen. They step in, they guide, they counsel, and they work to ensure that people around them are successful. There's so many things in this book that you can take away. It's it's one of these texts where I, <laughs> I know it's not the right thing to say, but like I always talk about murdering my books. I write so much much in them that they're, they're no longer recognizable. You can't even tell uh, which is the text versus which is just hand-drawn. 
I found a process in here to strongly support and provide feedback for other people. Like, how did you help the organization? How did you help your team? How did you help this team? How did you support innovations? And what are you going to do the next time we are together to ensure that you're focusing on all four of those? And my favorite quote from the book is, never panic, always prepare leading me right back to the first book I talked to you about, which is The Art of Clear Thinking. So the book is The Leap to Leader, How Ambitious Managers Make the Jump to Leadership by Adam Bryant. I'm going to tell you this one last time about this book. This book is not for those people who are looking to like find a formula to be a leader at a higher level. It's a book for all leaders to read to find how to be better leaders no matter what level they're at. Okay, so two new two classics. The second classic is a book that I was reminded of a few weeks ago when I had the pleasure of emceeing an event that supported and and hosted the education of young men and women across the state of Wisconsin in understanding the impact of the Holocaust on our history, our society, and the Jewish people. The book came to mind as I was listening to a survivor speak, and it reminded me of how impactful a text I read way back in college has been on my own mindset. The author is someone who survived. The author is someone who is resilient. The author is someone who is truly a historic version of a buffalo. But the author is someone who also had great courage before any major or significant thing happened to them. Imagine being 16 years old and writing a letter to Sigmund Freud, (laughs) because that's what Viktor Frankl did. And then imagine, right after that, finding yourself in places like Auschwitz and Dachau, and different camps across Europe during World War II and the Holocaust. Then imagine coming out of it, using all of those experiences, and writing the book Man's Search for Meaning. And then imagine this book, because this is one of my favorite texts I've ever read my entire life. And for some reason, every time I put these book podcasts together for you, I forget to bring it up. The book is Yes to Life, In Spite of Everything, by Viktor Frankl. And it's a must-read. It's an easy read, but it's one of those books that you will read three or four pages, especially once you understand the background of the author, and you will find yourself really reflecting about what problems that you have, how to approach life. Because one of my favorite parts of this whole book that has stuck out to me forever is this concept that he has throughout it, which is live your life as if you were living it for the second time knowing that there are things that were done in your past that you regret, that you wish had never happened. And instead of having them harbor around your neck like an anchor, you've learned from them and you live your life like it's a second time. It's a phenomenal mindset and concept. And again, I pulled this book off the shelf a couple of weeks ago, randomly opened up to page 45, and I read this sentence. Certainly, our life in terms of the biological, the physical, is transitionary in nature. Nothing of it survives. And yet, how much remains? What remains of it? What will remain of us? What can outlast us? Is what we have achieved during our existence that continues to have an effect, transcending us and extending beyond us. Effect. A leader is anyone who has an effect over another person. And I got drawn to this page, and I think the universe brought me there page 45 of Yes to Life, because it was a strong reminder, and this entire book is a strong reminder of how living a purpose-filled life, how living a life where you are focusing on the needs of others and focusing on what is right and what has to be done in order 
to be the best version of yourself is powerful. The book is by Viktor Frankl. It's Yes to Life in Spite of Everything. It's a must read. It's a wonderful book. And it's one of those texts where I read it once a year. So it's my first book for fall hiking next weekend. Ted, a hammock, a bunch of Gatorade, and that book. And I will read that in the forest, fall asleep after the first chapter, wake up with leaves piled around me, hydrate, and start over. It's a phenomenal text, and I strongly suggest you read it. The fifth book. I'm going to do my best here. All right, all right, all right. That's my best version of Matthew McConaughey. He is an interesting bird, and I really like him. And I know some people kind of get turned off by him or turned on by him, but I'm somebody who really admires him because I think he is truly a 21st and 22nd century version of a philosopher, a thinker, a tinkerer. Somebody who's doing all kinds of things. And fortunately for him, he's got the money to do things and explore. He writes. He's got great books out there. He's got a great foundation that helps get grant writers to write grants for other people to get them more money without a cost. He's got all kinds of great things going on. And his movies, well, they're pretty awesome too. But I was listening to my favorite podcast, Smartless, and he was a guest on there. And he said a few things on that podcast that really got me thinking. But the first thing was he was talking about his new book, a children's book, which is really, to me, not a children's book at all. But I'll get into that in a minute. While listening to the podcast, he said something that really helped me shape up and define my relationship with my children. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. He said that he has different expectations for his sons and his daughter. And I thought, yeah, I do too. I treat them a little differently, but I still have high expectations for both of them. But dads and daughters and moms and sons and parents and their kids have different types of relationships, and that's healthy. It's good for us to each have relationships with our own kids and have them defined in different ways. And he and the boys were talking about that on Smartless, and then he said something that made me pause. Like literally, pause the podcast and try to drive with tear-filled eyes. He said his sons are fantastic and that he's, he has great relationships with them. But then he said something to the extent of having a daughter is like being on a honeymoon that never ends. And I was like, wow. Now, I maintain very high expectations for both of my children, but my relationships with them are both different. And I think that's normal. And when he explained how he felt about his daughter, I was like, wow, that's the first time I've heard in words how I feel about mine. Just the greatest journey ever. And again, I love my son just as much. And what we do together is fantastic as well. So that got me really thinking. So, of course, I pulled over at the next stoplight, parked the car, found myself on my Amazon app, which is like the most dangerous thing in the world for me, and hit click on the book called Just Because by Matthew McConaughey, which is an illustrated children's book. But I'm telling you right now, every principal, superintendent, CEO, doctor, friend of mine, this book should be on the edge of your desk because it's also a leadership book. And I don't think that was his intent, but every book I read, I read through the lenses of leadership. And when I started reading his text and the way it's illustrated and what it says, I fell in love with the book and I wish I could have him on the podcast to explain how this isn't really a children's book. This is a leadership book. It's a book about forgiveness. It's a book about empathy. It's a book about understanding. It's a book about relationships. It's a book about caring and kindness. It's a book about high expectations. It's a book about leadership. When you open up the text, how he wrote the book is he's got just one simple sentence and an illustration, followed by another simple sentence 
in an illustration, but the illustrations tell the story of the sentence. For instance, this sentence, just because I'm on top doesn't mean I cannot fall. And it's got a little person who climbed up on top of a playground. But the point is this, just because I'm at the top doesn't mean I cannot fall. That's an empathy statement. That's a don't be jealous statement. That's a don't be envious statement. That's a once somebody gets up there, you've got to help them either stay up or get down. That's an empathy-driven type of statement, which is a phenomenal way to work with, learn, and teach your children, not just lessons and morals and values, but like how to be a good person. And those are the things I think we forget in organizations and systems when we get really big and we get really big titles. We forget that once we get on top, sometimes we might fall. So we have to build the relationships and the environment and the culture around us so that people help us. I took all of that from that little sentence the first time I read it. And yeah, I put it on my clear post-it pad and wrote right in the book. The second one that I really, really liked was this. Just because I lied doesn't mean that I'm a liar. And what I loved about it is it's got a picture of a big brother taking the blame to protect his little sister. And there's a great lesson in that. But the lesson is, is that don't judge, understand, be empathetic, be understanding, be a leader. Just because you got the gold doesn't mean that you won. This book is filled with these types of little statements that you can just hear in Matthew McConaughey's voice, right? Like, just because I'm finished doesn't mean I can't do his voice. I shouldn't even try. Anyways, five books for fall. I would read all of them. No particular order. I'd start out with just because, because if you are leading other people, it's a really fun text to just pull out the statements, take a picture of, throw in your PowerPoint deck or whatever you're going to do with it and share those with other people. Get them talking about it. Get people on the same page. But the other texts are phenomenal books on leadership and life and learning and perspective and decision making. And I think these are the things we need to focus on as we head into the winter. Because fall is a time and a season of change. And there's no better time than fall or tomorrow to invest in yourself. To find new angles, new perspectives, new language, and energize yourself so that you can lead others. Each of us every day has the opportunity to charge in the storms we are facing like the buffalo. But the key word there is choice. And you and I need fuel to do that. We need new perspectives and new ideas. And leaders are readers. And that's why I'm bringing you five books for fall for you to reflect upon, read, and share with others. So let's do some smart thinking. Describe books that you have read that you could share with others. List which of the five books you're going to read first. All five of them. And finally, Describe how you approach texts. Do you read them through the lens of leadership, entertainment, sharing with others, as a learner? What is your strategy for when you read? That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening. Please make sure to rate and share this episode on your social media platform. And please share these texts with as many people as you can. I firmly believe in my heart that when you can get a group of people who read a text together, it can significantly change the culture and the people around you because it creates a language and a language of admiration and understanding and most importantly, empathy. And as always, thank you to the Well Pennies for the great music. And please make sure to follow them on your music platform. I'm going to end this session today with one of my favorite songs to listen to in fall by the Well Pennies. All right, as we close out here, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to find five texts to share with five people. 
I think one of the greatest things we do as leaders is when we network and we share what we're learning with others. Learning is one of my top five on my Gallup Strength Finder, and it really fuels me. The opportunity to learn, listen, and share, it, it puts me in a really good spot. And you know what else puts me in a really good spot? When I come up with, upon someone and they walk towards me with intent and passion, and they say things like, Ted, I just read the best book. And then they tell me all about the book. And while they're telling me all about the book, I'm opening my phone, going on my Amazon app and buying that book so it shows up on my doorstep the next morning. And then the next morning when I'm sitting there, as I go out to walk the dog and I step on a little package and I'm like, huh, what did I order? And I open up the book and you know what the first thing I think about is? You. Whoever told me to get that book? Then I'm like, oh yeah, I got to read this book. And then I read that book. And then I call that person and say, hey, I read the book and this is what happened. This is what I'm thinking because I'm always reading and translating it into other things and using a process to ensure that I can grow and support others with it. So please, just like you do with what you're watching on Netflix or Peacock or Hulu or whatever, share what you're reading with others because great leaders focus on being great readers, just constantly learning and challenging yourself. My favorite story of all time about a reader is about Bill Gates. Bill Gates, and I'm not sure if he still does it, used to, for one week, take boxes of books out to a little cottage that he purchased on a small lake in the middle of nowhere, like a two-room place. And he would just spend an entire week reading, learning, understanding, and growing. I can't afford to do that because I'm not Bill Gates. So what do I do? I get my books, I come home, I read, I cook, I read, I learn, I read, I work out, and I just fit it in there the best I can whenever. Don't find an excuse not to read. Find the excuse to grow. There you go, tapping at my window. There you go, rattling my heart. Far away.
the sunshine.